BYU-TCU, a rivalry renewed. Is this the week that we see a new member beat? Well, I guess you'd call TCU a legacy member. They weren't an original Big 12 member, but they've been here longer than BYU. Jacob Hatch is here with me. Uh, we're going to break it all down next. It's Locked on Horn Frogs, Locked on Cougars. Crossover edition coming up right now. You are Locked on Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. That's right, Locked On Horn Frogs. I'm Stephen Simcock, at Simcock Stephen on Twitter. In the box next to me, Jake Hatch. He's got a cool neon sign behind him with the name of his show, Locked On Cougars. Uh, his handle is at Jacob C. Hatch. And we thank FanDuel for their sponsorship. They're bringing you this crossover edition of the show. And Jake, we get we get BYU TCU. the The band is back together. Old Mountain West counterparts. Yeah. Uh, is this a is this one of those? I mean, I know like obviously when Utah joins next year, that's that's the game. Like that's the one sure. that everybody's going to circle. But um, is there some real juice behind this TCU BYU matchup? And are BYU fans excited to? kind of renew this uh, this rivalry to a certain extent. No, they, they are. And that's the thing about this is TCU and BYU had some epic matchups back in the Mountain West there. And even go back to there was a short time in the WAC. They were together, obviously. And they, there were some epic games. Uh, John Beck going down there in 2006 and springing an upset on a nationally ranked Horn Frog squad. Uh, TCU coming to Provo in college game day, came to Provo and absolutely trounced in the Cougars. There's There's been some really, really fun games in this history of these two. And it's been 12 long seasons since they last met up. So uh, it's fun to, yeah, as you mentioned, have the band back together to have that rivalry renewed. We talked in the summer, and we kind of did a preview of both these teams. Uh, Keaton Slovis was was a fascinating story to me because he's he's been around a little bit. He's kind of one of the new you know poster children for the transfer portal era. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like from an outsider perspective, it seems like it's going well. Jake, once they got past kind of that weird game at Sam Houston, feels like this offense has sort of found its its footing. How would you assess how he's done so far, and I guess how he's led this? Uh, this BYU team to this point. Well, I'll, I'll be frank. Keaton Slovis has been the strength of BYU's offense. And it's kind of stunning to say that because there were so many questions about him having transferred in from Pitt. He didn't have that great of a year, a year ago uh, for the Panthers, but he's come in and BYU's run game for a lot of this season so far has really been MIA. It's just not been able to get really untracked. And the issue has been that they just haven't been as physical as they need to be up front. So what it's been is it's been more BYU kind of going in almost in an air raid uh, fashion. We're throwing the ball all over the field. And Keaton Slovis, as you mentioned, has been very, very good so far. And it's kind of funny to think about because, there was, like I said, there were so many question marks about him joining BYU. Did they pick the right guy out of the transfer portal? Well, five games into the season, sitting at 4-1 and one overall for BYU, I think that they made the right decision, at least so far. Yeah, it's strange. When I think of BYU lately, I think about physicality, mm-hmm. uh, a team that likes to run the ball, has a solid defense. But – Early this week when I was doing shows, I had a few Cougar fans like pop in and, and make some comments. And one thing they said was, this is a team that struggles, you know, to stop the run, that struggles to run the football. Uh, is is this just a down year for both sides of the line, Jake? What What's kind of happening that's um, led to those struggles so far? 
Well, it, it shouldn't have been on the, on the offensive line. They actually retooled this offensive line via the transfer portal more heavily than anybody, any other position group uh, on this roster. And that's kind of the crazy thing about it. They brought in guys like Caleb Etienne, who was a 13-game starter a year ago for Oklahoma State. They brought in Paul Miley, who was a multi-year starter for the University of Utah and one of the better offensive lines in the Pac-12. The bodies they brought in, you looked at that collection of talent and said, okay, this offensive line should be able to really get a good, strong push, should open the whole for the running backs, but for whatever reason so far, it has not been that way. Now, I will say this. BYU enjoyed their bye week last week, but their final game before that bye was the game against Cincinnati, which they won. And in that game, BYU was severely outgunned in terms of overall yardage and plays uh, by the Bearcats. But when BYU did have the football, I saw the best blocking performance I had seen all season from my own eyeballs. And that it's not perfect. Let me be very clear about that. But against a very, very good Cincinnati front, BYU probably had their best rushing performance to date. So uh, there are positive signs that it's moving uh, that direction offensively. Now, with regards to the defensive line and giving up the rushing yards, the biggest thing for BYU is, is this is a defense that completely retooled its coaching staff. Kalani Satake fired his defensive coordinator after last season. It just it fell apart, and he needed to make a change. He makes the change, brings in Jay Hill, who he obviously knew from his time at the University of Utah. And Jay Hill has brought a new philosophy, a new belief, and just an overall um cohesive identity to this defense. The issue is I don't think he has the horses in terms of the overall talent he needs to make this defense as good as he wants it to be. So it's still going to be a transition year in many respects in that regard. And yes, they are going to give up some rushing yards just as a result. Sticking with Jay Hill, uh, do you feel like this is a unit that can get better as the year goes on? Or are they going to just kind of have to live with, yeah, we're probably going to get some points. We, we need the offense to be effective. And, and hope to play sort of complimentary football as we go on. It depends on how healthy they stay. Now, Ben Bywater, BYU star linebacker, he has 200 and some odd career career tackles the last two years. He's the heart and soul of this defense. He's not going to play against TCU from what I understand. He suffered a shoulder injury against Kansas, did not play against Cincinnati, and the hope was that he would be uh, healthy enough to come back to play against TCU. He's unavailable. But outside of him, they're actually pretty healthy across all uh, three levels of their defense, and that's going to be the biggest thing for BYU is I do believe they can improve so long as their front line starters stay healthy this season now he absorbs some injuries and that obviously comes into effect for everybody every uh every football team every single year that's when i think it's going to fall off a little bit for byu so as long as they stay healthy i think they will continue to improve uh the the question is really how much because i think there's just a there's there's a talent element that is lacking on byu's defense right now kind of unique situation in preparation they're preparing for josh hoover Mm-hmm. Young QB, redshirt freshman. Really the only tape that's worth anything, I guess, is is the few possessions he played against Iowa State last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, have they talked at all, the coaching staff, about you know the challenge of kind of getting ready for that, how they're trying to approach a new look, not really a new look offense, but a new person back there taking the snap? Yeah, we talked to Jay Hill on Tuesday during media availability, and he came out and said, we were really deep on, on getting ready to face off against Chandler Morris. They obviously had the bye week, so they were doing a lot of uh, looks at TCU, getting ahead of it. And then all of a sudden, he gets injured against Iowa State. And he essentially said that they didn't necessarily tear the script up. He said it completely changed how we're approaching this game because he mentioned – 
Hoover's a young quarterback. You mentioned he's a redshirt freshman. He has not played a lot of football, so they don't have a lot of intel on him. And that's that's the biggest thing for BYU is they're going to go into this game with an idea of what to expect from Hoover. They'll probably expect more of the elements just to what TCU's offense is. But he said simply you have to get into the game, see what Hoover's strengths are and what his weaknesses are, and then adjust from there. That's going to be the biggest thing for going up against a relative unknown at QB. Yeah, does the bye week come at a good time? I know it's always kind of a roll of the dice. You mentioned the health situation. Uh, and I guess, will they play like eight, eight or seven or eight straight games after this? Is this good timing for, you know, a week off before the TCU game? Yeah, I, I think it was a good timing because they did have a, a couple dings and dents. There's a couple wide receivers who had gotten injured uh, in the first five games of the year. And uh, BYU, the last two years as an independent, Stephen, had their bye week in week 10 or later of the season. That's almost worthless at that point. We've gotten yeah. that many games in a row and then having a bye week. They wanted to have it midseason, an ideal world, probably six games, then have that bye week. But uh, to have the bye week after week five, I think it gave BYU a chance to recuperate a little bit, kind of retool what they're doing because they've played two big 12 games now they went to Kansas. They were at home against Cincinnati. And now, as you mentioned, they kind of gear up and they got seven straight games. They've got Oklahoma and Texas looming out there. Texas in just a few weeks time, Oklahoma in November. They got a lot of other good games, West Virginia on the road. So they're, they're facing a pretty strong gauntlet of teams. But uh, the one thing I've talked with enough people around at BYU, they're just excited to be part of the Big 12 and actually be a part of a conference and have this matter week to week. Yeah, it's cool if they're here. And I mean, we, we discussed this in the offseason too. It's kind of hard for me to think of BYU as making a step up because I know they, I mean, they scheduled good teams. They scheduled a lot of Pac-12 teams. Yeah. Uh, and so what has this transition been like? I know it's early. Mm -hmm. It's probably too early to make a lot of grand declarations about it. But has it been as smooth as they maybe thought it could be, you know, with playing week in and week out football against the same opponent? I think that they've done a pretty good job, honestly, in terms of trying to gear up for it. I've always said the last three or four years of BYU scheduling, I called it Power 5 adjacent scheduling. They weren't playing 10 or 9 uh, Power 5 games. They were playing 6, 7, or 8. So they were playing their fair share of them, and they competed fairly favorably against those teams. You mentioned that. You've seen them uh, play those level of teams. That's the one thing I thought people were overlooking amongst all the newcomers, uh, including uh, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF, as well as BYU, is that BYU played more power five teams every single year leading up to joining this conference than the other ones did seemingly combined annually. And that's that gave BYU a feel like a, a leg up in terms of what they were to expect. They went to Arkansas and uh, competed very, very well, came back to win that game after falling behind by double digits twice. There's a, I don't know, there's a grit, a tenacity. The BYU has kind of developed under Kalani Satake playing against these power five teams. They've always wanted to belong to the power five club. And now that they're here, they, they are not backing down from anybody. They're very excited to be uh, competing in this league. All right, final thing, and then we'll transition a little bit here. Uh, you said Keaton Slovis is the strength of this team. Is, is the biggest strength the passing offense? Is there anything else that is really on par with that right now at the moment for this BYU team? Uh, yeah, it's going to be the passing offense is the chief strength for this team. I will say, though, I really like BYU's secondary right now. They've actually done a really good job. They brought in two transfers uh, at cornerback who played for Jay Hill at Weber State and Camden Garrett, as well as Eddie Heckard, who have, uh, making the leap from the FCS level, have not looked out of place at all. And that's that's a positive sign there. The other guys in the secondary are actually holdovers from last year's defense at safety, et cetera, who have all been very good. Jacob Robinson was a breakout star down the stretch last season, and he's been very good good at corner as well. So uh, I, I like the secondary for BYU. I feel like it's actually one of the better secondaries we've seen in the recent past for the Cougars. But yeah, I feel like far and away, the passing offense is BYU's chief strength.
All right, when we come back, BYU fans, what do you want to know about TCU? We'll break that down, and we'll give our predictions later on on the show. It's a crossover edition of Locked On One Frogs and Locked On Cougars. All right, I know there's one thing we can all agree on. We like making money. I don't know. I, I say this every week. Every every time this read comes up, I don't know how much longer they're going to keep doing this deal. Yeah. But right now, FanDuel.com slash Locked On, you just place a $5 bet now, and you can get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time. And you can bet on anything. Spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. FanDuel.com slash Locked On. You kick off the NFL season. They also have an easy-to-use app. It's easy to download. It's easy to navigate. Even my parents could probably do it if I tried to set that up for them. Uh, but they don't really traffic in this type of stuff. FanDuel.com slash Locked On. FanDuel, official betting partner of the National Football League. All right, Steven. So I've got a couple questions for you. And you already mentioned Josh Hoover taking over as the quarterback here for TCU. And uh, here's the thing. BYU fans have a history that they will point to very quickly that when BYU goes up against backup quarterbacks who are not as well-known guys, there's a history of BYU kind of letting them carve them up. So who is Josh Hoover? What are his strengths? What do you know about this young man from Rockwall, Texas? Yep, Rockwall, Texas. Rockwall Heath High School, DFW kid. Uh, It's kind of interesting. Josh is a guy that he was um, recruited by Sonny Dykes. He was going to go to S. well, he was recruited by Sunny Dykes from Sunny Dykes with SMU. Um, his best offer in his initial recruitment process was Indiana. So he was committed okay. there. And then when Sonny got the TCU job, he was like, oh, that's close to home. Power 5 school. He ends up at TCU. Um, this offseason, the TCU coaching staff went pretty hard after quarterbacks in the transfer portal, which I think kind of told you about where they thought Josh was as a potential second-string quarterback. They ended up landing Chance Nolan from Oregon State. And about two or three days into camp, Chance Nolan said, actually, I don't think I want to play football. He left. And so Josh Hoover assumed the role of, uh, you know, backup to Chandler Morris. Now, I, I will say this about him. He ran a very similar offense to what Kendall Bryles runs now at Rockwall Heath. Mike Spradlin, his high school coach, uh, was part of that Bryles coaching tree. So he's used to fast tempo. He's used to throwing the ball down the field, um, you know, quick game stuff, one read, getting out of his hands quickly. So I think they're going to lean on Amani Bailey a lot. I, I did notice in that Iowa State game, it looks like he's got good arm talent. Um, they talked a lot this offseason about how they've been really impressed with how he improved. Sonny Dyke said, hey, he's, he's one of the first guys there, last ones to leave. Like, we're not worried about preparation. We're not worried about effort with him. So I think it really comes down to this, Jake. Like, he, he threw an interception in that Iowa State game. He threw an interception uh, when he came in against Nichols uh, State in relief. So, can't turn the ball over. You've got to protect the football. He's been prone to make young quarterback mistakes. I imagine BYU's going to throw some different looks at him to try to confuse him. I don't think the offense will be super limited by what he can't do. Like, I think he can make most of the throws. But can he make good decisions? Can he make big-time throws and big-time reads, you know, when it's a a passing situation, when everybody knows he's got to drop back and get it done? That remains to be seen. Um, However, though, I feel like he was was somebody that most TCU fans were down on, kind of, you know, man, if Chandler goes down, could this guy actually take over and lead the team? And I feel like people were encouraged after watching, you know, some of the throws he made and what he could do against Iowa State that at least this offense could still function with him at the helm. 
Now, you mentioned Imani Bailey, their star running back. It feels like to me with, a, with an unproven quarterback, and that's probably the wrong term to use with him, but he has, hasn't played a lot of football. The, the best weapon you can have as a quarterback in the case of Josh Hoover, like the situation he's stepping into, is to have a strong running game. Do you expect Sonny Dykes and TCU to really say, uh, put it on the offensive line and Imani Bailey to help lead them to a victory? Man, I think that's really the only path here for them to win games is is to keep the ball on the ground. Um, this is an offense that's been searching for an identity all year long. The one thing that they've been able to do well week in, week out, is run the football with the exception of uh, a rough night against West Virginia a few weeks ago. And so Monty Bailey, to me, is the key. I mean, he's he's been really good. He showed some flashes last year. He was behind, he was behind two running backs that are now in the NFL and, and Kendra Miller and, Amar, and uh, Marty Mercado. But it was mainly in garbage time. And I, I think what, what I took from Amani when he ran the ball was he's got good burst, good athleticism. Um, but I've been super impressed. I mean, he's gotten some what I'd call dirty yards this year, Jake. Like, okay, first and 10, looks like it's going to be a two-yard loss. He cuts it up and finds a way to make it second and eight and second and seven instead of second and 12. Um, not a lot of running laterally. Pretty much always positive yards when he touches the football. Really good after contact. Uh, has has embraced like blocking and pass protection and has gotten better at that. Coach Jones, the running back coach, has complimented him on that this season. So he looks like the complete package. Um, he's the best. Like he's the best weapon they have. He's the best player on the team right now. I would not have predicted that before the season, uh, but he's taking his opportunity and he's run with it. Uh, pun not intended there, but I guess it works. And so. Short answer is yes. I think they're going to try to run the ball. They want to keep this in second and third and manageable, and that starts with uh, getting Imani Bailey on the ground and, and getting that offensive line going. Now, any BYU fan who was watching college football last year watched that magical run that TCU had to the national title game. Absolutely incredible stuff. And uh, the, the the blowout loss in the national title game, notwithstanding, was an incredible run. Uh, the defense, in many respects, was a huge key to that. And while the offense, it felt like, got gutted with guys leaving for the NFL, the defense returned a lot of the bodies. Has the defense lived up to the hype of what they had a year ago so far, in your opinion? I say that I would say they have lately. Um, the Colorado game was a disaster and sure, you know, I feel like if, if Joe Gillespie was honest about it, he would say he thought they could play a pretty vanilla scheme against that team and just sort of, you know, allow them to get some yardage and stay in front of them. It would be fine. And, and that sort of blew up in his face. But since then they played really well. I mean, they kept Houston out of the end zone. Um, I think SMU is a pretty good team this year and they were able to slow down that offense. And they've done a nice job against West Virginia and Iowa State. Just unfortunately, the offense couldn't couldn't match, you know, the effort that they gave. This is not like this is not a team that's going to hold somebody to six points. They're not a dominant defense. Um, I I feel like they're at their best when you know they're playing with a pretty robust offense, and it's kind of a bend but don't break style. But yeah, it's improved a lot. The tackling's gotten better. Um, I think Joe Gillespie's gotten more aggressive. He's bringing more blitzes. He's allowing his corners to play more man coverage, more head up, and it's led to some dividends. So the defense has been good. I think they're going to have to find a way to force some turnovers and make some splash plays over the next few weeks if they're going to win games and be successful. Uh, but I've been I've been happy with the defense performance lately. I think it's been um, closer to what I expected, you know, before the season. And really, aside from that Colorado game, they've been solid all year long. 
Now, this is a team that's three and three on the season, not necessarily having the follow-up year that you would have hoped for after what they did a season ago. What's the fan base reaction been as they are 500 on the year so far? Yeah, it's pretty dark right now, Jake. Things are, think vibes are not, okay. vibes are not at a hundred percent. I feel like most TCU fans uh, didn't think this team would be, you know, obviously they didn't think they would do what they did last year. Mm-hmm. I feel like most we're probably in the place where they didn't even see a Big Twelve championship as a possibility. But eight or nine wins was what I what I got most off, and that's what I predicted before the season that they go nine and three. Okay. Now I think best case scenario, you're probably talking about six and six. Like you find a way to go three and three down the stretch against uh, a tougher part of the schedule. Um, and honestly, at, Sonny hit all the right notes last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's impossible to expect that again. But the Colorado loss was preventable. The West Virginia loss was preventable. Now Iowa State, you just got whipped on the road, and you know that happens in college football sometimes. They should be five and one right now, but as you know well, uh, shoulda, coulda, woulda does not count. Your record is what your record is, and they're a five hundred football team. They just lost their quarterback. I think there are some people that are optimistic because Chandler had struggled so much the last couple of weeks that maybe a new QB could kind of light a new energy into this team. Um, but I think best case scenario, they still fall well below expectations for what people were thinking. Um, and, you know, this is kind of – it's it's typical that if you're not a blue blood, it's hard to it's hard to year over year have seasons like that. And I thought TCU with the transfer portal and with some of the talent they had there and the cohesiveness with that coaching staff, I thought they could buck that trend. But it feels like uh, everybody's kind of eating a slice of humble pie right now and they got to regroup and kind of refocus. All right. So uh, and I, I'm going to ask you a similar question. You asked me right at the tail end of me kind of uh, answering your questions. What's the chief strength right now for the Horn Frogs? What's their, what's their main weakness? Is it, what, Where do they stand in your opinion? Oh, that's a really good question. I think their biggest strength is probably their secondary. Um, they have a lot of experience in the back end with their safeties. Their corners are really good. Josh Newton started every game last season at the corner position. He's back again. Avery Helm is a transfer from Florida that's done a really nice job. And they have some depth behind those guys biggest weakness maybe the offensive line I, I think they've been okay at times but they haven't been consistent now they've made some changes something to watch so Brandon Coleman started the year at guard he played tackle last year uh, that experiment has not worked not because Coleman is struggling but because their you know their replacement tackle was was just not cutting it so they've moved him back to the outside they've shuffled some things around. And I think they were better against Iowa State, but it didn't show up on the scoreboard. So I'm curious to see what they look like this week against BYU and beyond that. Um, and they've been able to run the ball okay, but pass protection has been an adventure. And, yeah, they're just not nearly as physical as they were last season. But Steve Avila uh, is the guard for the, Ram- the starting guard for the Rams right now. They miss him a lot. There were a couple other guys in the interior that moved on to the NFL or just kind of moved on post-football career that uh, have been more uh, more irreplaceable than I think we all kind of gave them credit for before the season started. All right, so good intel on the Horn Frogs. Let's get to the best part of this and talk about keys of the game, but let's get a quick word on one of our good friends over here, Stephen. Of course, that is our friends over at LinkedIn. Of course, these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business, my friends. You want to be 100% certain 
You have access to the best qualified candidates available, and that's why you need to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people that for your team at the best part is they do it faster and for free. All you need to do is go on and, and set up the job profile you have on LinkedIn, then add that job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. They feature simple tools like screening questions, make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. The best part is it's why small businesses are rating LinkedIn Jobs number one and delivering quality hires versus their leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on free. Once again, terms and conditions apply. All right, Jake. So let's get to, uh, let's get to the part that's going to get clipped and put on Twitter in a few days, regardless of the outcome. Oh yeah. First, your keys to the game. If BYU comes into Fort Worth and gets a victory, what has to happen for the Cougars? Well, they got to win the turnover battle. It's been the big storyline to BYU season so far is when they have been plus in the turnover margin, they have won all four of the games. The one game that they lost the turnover margin at Kansas, they lost the game. They gave up 14 points in an 11-point loss. I, I don't mean to simplify the game as much as that it may seem, but it really is a, been a big key to BYU's success this year. Their offense is very much an incomplete uh, um, mix right now of rush offense not producing much, the passing offense making up for it. So, yeah, if they if they want to win this game in Fort Worth, they got to come out positive in the turnover margin. And the other thing about this, I want to see them take another step forward in the rushing attack. I think if they rush for 100-plus yards in this game, control the tempo uh, in to a degree, and just really kind of dictate the terms of how they want to play this game, I think BYU stands a pretty good chance. What are you seeing from the TCU perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with feeding Imani Bailey. You want to make this a simplistic game for Josh Hoover, your, your new quarterback. And so putting him in good, you know, down-distance situations will be a key. And then also, I mean, if you can just run the ball effectively – that kind of opens up the rest of your offense. And then I'm with you on the turnover battle. I mean, you, you can't give away free possessions. And so, um, yeah, if the defense can create some turnovers, that'll be huge. And if if Josh Hoover can protect the ball, that'll be big. And then I'll go special teams here. Jake, I don't know what's happened. TC returned their kicker. They returned their punter. They returned everybody, the special teams coach. But it's all fallen apart this season. They've had kicks blocked. They've had, you know, they've given up kickoff returns and punt returns. Um, so, Flipping the field, maintaining field position, a huge key for this team. Jake, you know, you can give me a score. You can just give me a straight-up winner. What do you think happens between BYU and TCU on Saturday? Well, I, 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 let me just put in a side real quick on the special team side of things. BYU has got a very, very good punter in Ryan Rico. He's been absolutely phenomenal this year. But there's still major question marks about BYU's own kicking game. They came into the season, Stephen, without a kicker on the roster who had taken a kick in an FBS football game. They, they, they had no experience kicking the football. Still a lot of question marks about that. And obviously with these road games, sometimes it can come down to you and you make a pressure field kick uh, to yeah. maybe lift your team. That's going to be, I, I, that's actually a really good point on your side on the special team side of it. Sounds like TCU's had their struggles. There's a big fat question mark on BYU's kicking game right now. And we'll see if that comes into effect on Saturday afternoon. Now uh, to your point though, I, I've got this thought that BYU <clears throat> 
the players know the history of going up against backup quarterbacks in BYU's history. They, they the, over the past 10 years, you can go back through and you can see they have been torn up by a bunch of teams. I think the BYU is, has spent the bye week really focusing on themselves, trying to get things sorted out defensively and offensively. I, I know they're motivated. They want to go out on the road and win their first Big 12 road game. I'm going to say BYU just by like a, a hair. Like we're talking like two, three points. Maybe a field goal does make the difference in the end. I don't necessarily have a score quite yet, but I've got some thought that BYU has got a lot of motivation. And without Chandler Morris at the helm of this TCU offense, I think BYU will be able to load up the box and hopefully do, do enough to get a victory and go to five and one. So I would describe myself as a realist. My wife says that's what pessimists call themselves. So that, that kind of gives you a window into my relationship dynamics. Okay. Um, but I've been, I've been really optimistic on TCU all year long. I have consistently had to come back on the podcast and say that I was wrong about that. Okay. So I feel like Josh Hoover can make some plays. I think the surprise factor, at least for the first half, could play in TCU's favor. But I feel like even though the bye week might not play into BYU preparing super well for TCU because of the quarterback change, I still think it makes a difference. That rest and recovery time, coming out fresh, being ready is going to make a difference in this football game. That coincided with a, a young quarterback and a TCU team that's struggling. I feel like Frogs make a good effort, but BYU wins in the end. I'll be happy to be wrong about that, but I just see I see this Cougars team um, getting a victory. Before we go, Jake, what do you what's the ceiling for this BYU team in year one of the Big Twelve? Where do you where do you think they could go moving forward? Well, coming into the year, you and I talked about this. I thought six and six was a, a pretty good year. I thought all things considered for BYU, but now they're four and one. If they beat TCU, they're five and one, and they have the back half of the schedule to go. The ceiling for BYU feels like they may top out. I think nine and three because I just don't see them beating Texas. I don't see them beating beating Oklahoma right now. Now there's things that can change in the lead up to those games. You also have to go across the country to Morgantown to play West Virginia, who's been very very good. TCU already knows about how good West Virginia is. So uh, I, I'm saying right now, I think if you get to eight and four for BYU it's a phenomenal year and that that obviously entails you probably winning this game at TCU you have to pick off Iowa State and probably pick off Oklahoma State at the tail end of the year but uh, I think the ceiling's nine wins for the Cougars yeah West Virginia this season man they make it a rock fight nobody's going to enjoy the game but they're probably going to find a way find a way to come out on top uh great stuff Jake let people know Jake Hatch he is the only person at this network that has great BYU coverage on a daily basis let the folks know where they can subscribe, Jake. Yeah, simple. It's just available wherever you get the podcast. Search out Locked On Cougars. It's available on YouTube, just like this show. Uh, Locked On Horn Frogs as well. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter if you're watching this on YouTube. You see it. Jacob C. Hatch is my handle. But you can follow the show on social media as well. Locked On Cougars. It's on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I have a lot of good stuff going on all three of those channels. So uh, reach out anytime. Would love to have more interaction between Horn Frog and BYU fans because this this rivalry. I know you mentioned Utah coming in next year. Obviously, it's going to be the the game for BYU. I have I see no reason why TCU cannot be that secondary rivalry here for the Cougars. Yeah, it should be fun. I think it's two fan bases with a lot of common, a lot in common. Excuse me, um, and and two really proud programs that are trending up uh, and are trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Subscribe to Locked on Horn Frogs on YouTube. Uh, I'm getting close to 950 subscribers. My my daughter, hey. she gets her iPad out. She looks up like Ryan's world. He's got like 2 billion, and I question my life choices. But I'm getting close to 950, which means I'm hey, getting closer to her respect. Let me just say this. Cougar fans, help Steven out. 1,000 is like the, the, is the, it's right. the benchmark. 
BYU fan, Steven is one of my homies here on the network. If any of you watch our Locked On Big 12 roundtables over the years, uh, if you are a Cougar fan, just do us a solid. Go subscribe. And by the time we kick off on Saturday, I've got, I, I think we're sitting in the 4,000 range with BYU right now. I can guarantee I can get you 50 subscriptions. Let's get Steven over 1,000 by, by game time. I love it. And yes, TCU fans, likewise, subscribe to Jake's channel as well. Let's get him to 4K. Do it for both channels. This has been Locked On Horn Frogs, Locked On Cougars. It's your team, and we do it every day.